we're going to do now is we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to turn our attention to the Bible. And by the way, I forgot to greet everybody that's new. Uh, we love that you're here. You're at the right place. And uh, wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we love that you're here. Everybody watching online, we love that you're here too. We'd love it even more if you could actually be here, but we love that you're watching online. So, but what we're going to do now is we're going to turn our attention to the Scripture, and we're going to talk about the Scripture, Romans chapter 8. So if you are able, if you're able to stand up, love to invite you to stand up. Uh, we're going to be encouraged together. We're going to be encouraged. Uh, we're going to fill the tent with God's Word. So we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. I need you to read. The Scripture is going to be on those screens there. So I need you to read like really loud when it's, when it's your turn. And so your opportunity in church should be really loud. So I'm going to read verse 31, then you'll read 32, 34, 36, 38. You got it? You got it? Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this, What then shall we say in response to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Great job. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for everyone that is here. We know we're not here by accident. Perhaps we've been invited. We just decided to show up. We know it's not by accident. Wherever we're at in our journey, if we're close to you or far from you, if we're exhausted or wrestling with doubts or confused or wherever our hearts are at, I pray that you would incline our hearts to, to, to you afresh, to gaze upon you. Father, I, I'm reminded of David that he said as a soul, as a as my soul pants for thee, O God. And I pray, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to desire you. So, Father, I pray that you would do what only you can do. Thank you that you love us, that you love us to the max with an everlasting love. Bless us as we open the scriptures in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, amen. Thank you. And so the title of the message is More Than Conquerors. More Than Conquerors. In Romans 8, this is like a crescendo of what is considered the greatest chapter and the greatest book uh, of all the books of the world. It is the most powerful God-breathed book here. And so Romans chapter 8, verse 1, we begin with, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And now it ends with this, ends by saying that no one can be separated from God, from the love of God who is in Christ Jesus. So the key that we've seen here is that you be in Christ, you be placed in Christ, in union with Christ. And if you're new to church, here's the great news. Here's a great reason why you're here today, because we're going to talk about the love of God. We're going to unpack what it looks like and why you might want to consider being a Christ follower. And so what happens is he begins to ask questions, and he asks five questions. Five questions he's then going to uh, answer so we're going to begin answering the first question where he asks in verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things if God's for us, who can be against us? So he says, what shall we say in response to these things? And you think, well, what 
things. Well, Romans 8, 28, he said this, for God works all things, all the things in your life, God is working out for the good to those who love God and those who are the called according to, not your purpose, but his purpose. So he's saying that these are one of the things. He also talked the thing about God has called you. God has made you right with him through Christ. And God foreknew you and predetermined to set his love upon you. And so God then has called you and God is going to glorify you. So all of these things are saying, well, what should we say to these things? Like I would say like, friends, this is like awesome. This is incredibly awesome is what I would say to these things. But he, Paul tells us, here's what I say. Then if God be for us, who can be against us? And maybe you feel like sometimes people are against you. You ever feel like someone is against you? Your friends, family, maybe people out there in culture, whatever. So Paul then is going to talk about who is against you. He raises the question. I'll tell you when I was in school, I had all these university professors. I thought they were all against me. I mean, I could just tell you story after story, but I felt they were against me and always setting me up and always trying to discourage me to be a Christ follower and always kind of trying to dilute my faith and diminish. I felt like they were trying to destroy me, actually. So, But I just felt like they were always against me. Well, you have people in culture sometimes you feel that are against you. I mean, you have the media, you have uh, so, like social media out there trying to undermine faith, I believe. And then you have sometimes just enemies out there. How many people have family? You have friends sometimes that they're, you're, they're not always your friends. And so uh, there's all these people out there in culture. You have the devil against you. The Bible says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against, we're against, against, against. They're against us, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And they are against you. So he raises the question, okay, if, if, but God is not against you, God is for you. So he answers the question here, it's rhetorical, but who can really be against you there? So we have people that are against us, but what he's saying that in the end, in the end, we win because God is for us. So I think you need to learn to, to rest in that, to build your identity in that, that you are a person whom God is for. If you internalize that, really, that will change how you do life, how you view life, how you view yourself, and it's really transformative. So then he asks another question in verse 32. He says this, He who did not spare his own son. I'll just pause there for a moment and think about that. How staggering, how amazing, how awesome is that that says that God didn't spare his own son. I mean, he's God and doesn't have to do anything that he doesn't want to do, but God then gives his son for us. We talked about that last week. It says here, and gave him up for us all, all in the tent, all watching online. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Friends, that is staggering uh, promise there, statement, God's amazing love for us. And then he says, how will he not also, along with him, that's Jesus, graciously give us all things? So here's what he's saying. Look, if God has done the greatest thing that he could ever do, the most ultimate thing that he could ever do, in the giving of his son to make you right with God, 
won't he also then give you everything else that you need to make it in your Christian life, your spiritual life there? So he's saying, look, God gave you his son. We're going to read here how God pleads for you and God prays for you. And then God saved you and you, you, you weren't interested in him. You are in rebellion. And then the Bible says and we, we were, when we were enemies of Christ, he died for the ungodly. And so when you were in that state and God loved you, God didn't spare his own son, how much will he give you everything that you need? That's the point. It's awesome, friends. And so he continues here telling us that God gave us his son, so God's going to hang on to you. God's not going to let go of you. The greatest gift that could ever be given has been given, so God's going to provide for you. God's going to watch over you. God is for you and not against you. So having done the greatest work that he could ever do, he will do all of the lesser things that remain to be done in this life. There he is interceding for you, praying for you, pleading for you, because he made the monumental sacrifice. Everything else is less than that. So in the next question here that he asks, verse 33, on the screens you can look, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. So who brings any charge? Well, think about that. Think about that. Your own heart sometimes will condemn you. Uh, the powers of darkness can condemn you. Okay? But God is your defender, it says here. It is God who justifies. In other words, it is God who declares you righteous or in right standing before him. This is an act of God, something that you could never earn, where he declares a believing sinner declares a believing sinner is right with God because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so God justifies there. So God is for you. God has given you his son. God has made, has given you all things that you need. And here we're told that God does not condemn you, but he justifies you. So he, he makes you right with God. So then it says in verse 34, who is it that condemns? And again, of course, Satan condemns. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, that he's the accuser of the brethren. In other words, he's the ultimate trash talker, trash talking the speaker this morning about all the, thing, all the bad things that I've done to God. But none of that translates to God saying, okay, then I'm going to condemn Rod Collins. See, he justifies us. And so um, you think about it, God has covered you with his righteousness, Jesus Christ, and because he's granted you that a free gift from God, we don't stand in our own righteousness, but we stand in his righteousness. Well, that being the case, no accusation can come against you because you're in the standing in the righteousness of Christ. And then he says this, and more than that, in, in addition to who's been raised from the dead, and so the resurrection proves his work is complete there. And then question number five, verse 35, says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Now, I'd like to point something out which says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In, in the Gospels, in John chapter 13, verse 1, there's Jesus, and it says that, he loved them his own. He loved them to the end. It literally means he loved them to the maximum. 
He loved them to the point that God could not love them anymore. Well, what kind of state were they in when Jesus loved his followers, his disciples, kind of his, his intimates there, his team? He loved them to the point he could not love them anymore. Well, what you have going on is Judas Iscariot, there he's going to turn in Jesus for 30 shekels of silver. He's going to betray him. There's God in the flesh, Jesus loving him to the point to the max. And then you have the disciples there. They're arguing about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And, you know, they're completely self-absorbed about who's going to be greatest and what their positions are going to be and all that. And there is Jesus loving them to the point he couldn't love them anymore to the max. And then on top of that, Jesus is going to go to the cross, going to face the crucifixion. So you have this cross scenario awaiting him, this brutal, torturous death. And they then are just indifferent about that. So to those unlovable people, followers, Jesus loved them to the max, which tells me that you and I, friends, that there's nothing you can do to earn his love. And there's nothing you can do to lose it. And so um, he, he loves us regardless of your circumstance with, a, with an unending, uh, supernatural, God-only love. So that's how he loves us. And friends, I like to just say this too, that if you're new to church, that's what God is like. That's what God is like. Think about it in this life. You always have to earn, your, earn people's love, learn their, their respect and all that. God just sets his love upon you. And how that could change your life if that love was inside of us, that we could have a capacity to love where we're going to set our love upon others. The Bible says this. It says that the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit, which is given to you. So we love him because he first loved us. Think about that. You, you could love like God loves in this life. Well, anyway, he says, what can separate us? And all of these things are things that Paul faced. Tribulation, hardship. So tribulation is like unbelievable external pressure. Anybody feeling a little pressure over the holiday? You know, you feel pressure, don't you? Uh, it speaks of rejection. It speaks of being accused. It speaks of uh, just difficulty there. Then it says hardness, which is distress, which means this. It means that you feel like you're being compressed into a space like from which you feel there's no escape. You just feel that, that inward tight space where there's no escape. And then persecution. That's for being a follower of Christ where you feel like people are harassing or against you. And then famine and nakedness. Literally, you're without clothes, without food. And then the dread of danger where of what could happen to you, impending disaster. So anyway, then he closes with this. I'm going to begin to close. Verse 37. He closes with five statements which show the love of God. Here it is in verse 37. Knowing all these things, all those things that we just mentioned, were more than conquerors through him that loved us. It means literally like super conquerors. It means like to have a resounding victory. It means to be super, super conquerors again over all of those things, triumphant, victorious, hyper-victorious. And when you think about that more than conquerors, you think, well, is that like more than winning? Isn't it enough just to win here? What he's talking about is this, is that through 
him. Through Christ, you are more than a conqueror. Uh, you are super conquerors there. You're not just going to get by. You're not just eking by into heaven, but you have a triumphal entry there into heaven through him. And then he says in verse 38, I'm persuaded or I'm convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers uh, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to close here with five things that cannot separate you from the love of God. So here's what it's like. So what he does is basically this. Paul searches heaven, and he searches hell, and he searches the entire universe for things present, for things to come. And he concludes this, that no one, that nothing can separate you from the love of God. Number one is this. He says, not the crisis of death, nor the calamities of life. Paul said, for me to live as Christ and to die would even be gain there. Neither life nor death. We all know about death and the, and the darkness we feel about death. But what about life? He says that even in life you can't be separated. There's nothing in life, no danger, no difficulty, no temptation, no failure, no troubles, no burdens, no disappointments. There is nothing that you experience that will ever separate you in this life from the love of God. So whether you're alive or dead, in that uh, whatever space that you're in, you cannot be separated, whatever spirit is. And then he says angels or demons can't separate you. In other words, there's no intervention of angels or no intrusion of demons that can separate you from the love of God. No state of being. There's no supernatural creature out there that could separate. No angelic beings, no one good, no one evil could ever separate you. And then he says neither present nor the future. In other words... Not the cares of today, nor the troubles of tomorrow can separate you from the love of God. Now, sometimes we, our love for God may be, feel like undermined in those seasons, but the love of God towards you is, is never separated. Nor powers, nor mighty power, nor, nor uh, no power source in existence could ever separate you. And then he says, nor height, nor depth. Literally, not the pinnacle of heaven nor the pit of hell can separate you from the love of Christ. And then finally, he concludes here by saying, there's no place in the endless universe that you could go that would ever separate you, this life, the life to come, the world of angels, the world of supernatural beings, nothing in eternity, nothing at all could ever separate you. And he closes with this. He says, nor any other created thing. In other words, there is nothing mighty nor nothing made that can separate you from the love of God. And so, no exceptions. And so, I was talking to someone on our teaching team, Danny Thompson, who also is a professional illusionist. And he was on the Penn and Teller. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Penn and Teller are two of, somebody got excited and said, yeah, I liked that. Penn and Teller are two uh, world-class uh, magicians, and they have a show where thousands of people apply to go on. Only, only just a ha handfuls get to go on, and only 10% ever fool the judges, the 
two world-class judges. Well, Danny Thompson happened to be studying Romans when he was going to go on that program. And so uh, he had been praying about it uh, and, and looking through it and studying it, and he felt like he heard God's voice speaking to him from Romans chapter 8, if God be for us, who can be against us, before he went on the show. He told me the story about that when we were going through Romans. I said, Danny, we have to have you tell your story. We're going to start out with Acts 17.6. It says this. It says, and they cannot find them. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers, speaking to some of the Christians um, in the early church. They brought them before the authorities, shouting, these men have turned the world upside down. And I want to be a part of that community. I want us to be a part of that community that turns the world upside down for Christ. And so people have asked me for years to go onto this show, and we've just said, no, no, no. Um, and we prayed about it in 2021 and decided we would send something in. And so on February 27th of this year, we submitted a video to Penn and Teller Fool Us. For about um, three weeks or so, we emailed back and forth with the executive producers. Um, we exchanged 23 emails. Um, and then I got this letter on April 12th at 1236. It said, we would love to see you at, uh, or to have you on Fool Us this season in Las Vegas. And so we were like, yes. And then I had the question at 1237, um, how am I going to fool these guys? Like, what's going on? That's uh, like, these are two of the greatest minds of magic. How's that going to happen? And so then the next morning at 4 a.m., I had the same question. How am I going to fool these guys? And so April 13th started this journey of what's it look like to fool two of the greatest minds of magic? And so I, I started out with this verse in 1 Corinthians 9. It says, run in such a way as to get the prize, speaking about our faith, right? Everyone who competes goes into strict training. And this is speaking about like our, our vocation or um, Greek a- athletes at that time for the Olympics, they would go into strict training. And so I went, God, okay, I, I need to go into strict training both spiritually as well as physically. And so 6 a.m. the next morning, I got up and I started practicing about six to 10 hours a day on a piece that I had done thousands of times. And then what, what ended up happening is I ended up creating a, a completely different method for this putting to bed the old method and creating something that was far more deceptive, way more sleight of hand involved in it. Like if you, this is just a small clip, you can watch the whole thing, but there's a lot of sleight of hand that's built into it where it just makes it look like I'm doing nothing. But what would happen is for, I would set a clock for one minute for a little ding to go off and I would practice 45 seconds of the routine for 10 days at a time. And so Every, every minute, I'd work on 45 seconds of it and then reset for 15 seconds and work on it again because I wanted to go into strict training to be able to fool these guys and to be able to um, be on the other side. But it's not just about fooling them. I'm going to tell you about this. So one week before I'm about to go on Penn & Teller, maybe, a, uh, maybe it was like eight or nine days, I get a phone call from a man that I love, I respect. He's another magician. He's won multiple awards. And he said, Danny... Uh, I don't think you should go on the show. I was like, what? Wait, you know, he's all, I really think you should throw in the towel. He's like, Penn and Teller are known atheists. They speak against Christianity and against Christians all the time. He's like, I think you should throw in the towel. And so this is, this is what he said. He said, do you want a trophy that says this, right? 
And I don't know if you could tell from close up, it says fool us, but maybe from the back of the room, it might say something else and represent something else. And so, so I realized like what he's saying is like, do you really want to be represented with people that are of the world? And I prayed about it. My wife and I got on our knees. We prayed about it. And we decided we want to be in the world, but not of the world. And so we continue to pray and ask God for wisdom. And the next day on June 16th, I started reading through the book of Romans. I'm less than a week away from going to Las Vegas. I would be there for three days, one day for that. Uh, you, well, you didn't see it, but there's a minute intro um, that I talk about the story of my two dads. And then, um, and then the, the video starts. And that was, um, so Monday, I filmed for eight hours the intro video. And then what you saw with Penn and Teller was filmed in about an hour. And so I start reading through the book of Romans in this whole thing, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? And I started to write down all of these I am statements about who I am in Christ and who he's called us to be. And it's one that recognizes that God is for us. And so God's about turning the world upside down, right? Loving our enemies. Like that's not what we would do naturally, but that's what Jesus taught us to do, turning the other cheek. And really the symbol of the cross, a symbol of death became a symbol of hope and so I prayed on June 22nd as I was reading through the book of, of Romans chapter 8. And think about the craziness of this. Chapter 8, I'm in it in June, about to go on this show. I can't control when it's going to air. I can't control what Pastor Rod's going to preach on. But it's all literally aligning right before my eyes. I'm like, we're about to hit Romans chapter 8 if God is for us. The show's about to air. And so this is my prayer on June 22nd, about an hour before I would go on Penn and Teller. said, God, what if this trophy was turned upside down and these letters FU no longer represented it for us or something profane, but it would be God for us, right? And so that was, that was my prayer. God, if you allow me to go on here, this is it. It was prepare me, give me courage, um, help me to fool Penn and Teller. And if I get this trophy, I will turn it upside down because you are for us, right? And I want to be a part of those men, a part of those women who have turned the world upside down. So I don't know if you noticed, but when I got that trophy, this is what it looked like when I walked off stage. Now, what you can't see in this moment is there's a director that's, you know, in the audience. There's the two executive producers. There's some other people in the audience. There's a stage manager. And then there's a whole crew backstage. So as soon as I walked off stage, everybody in the audience went nuts. They were like, we need to get Danny back out here. We can't have that. We need to do that last take. I mean, they're just going crazy. The guys backstage, they're saying, no, we need to get him off stage. We need to get the next crew up. They, do a, uh, they have about eight people a day that come on to... Um, try to fool them. So they're like, no, we can't bring them back out. These guys are like, no, we need to bring them back out. They're fighting back and forth. I'm just standing there like, mm, what's going on? Ping pong match. I knew exactly why the guys out there were upset. You can't just take their trophy, right? And say, hey, thanks guys. Really appreciate being here tonight. <laughs> um, right? It just doesn't work. Um, but they allowed it. I wouldn't know until December 3rd when it aired, we were praying and I had a group of um, people praying for us. God, would you please allow this part to stay in? Now, if you 
if you watch Penn and Teller fool us, they have 31 cameras. So to fool these guys, like literally they go through all the different shots and you can't hide from them. You can't be like, oh, I'll just go this way. They have cameras every direction. Well, this shot is like taken from like on the street camera or something. It's so far back where if you watch all the other performers, usually as they walk off, it's like a close-up shot of them. They're like, all right, we're going to leave it in, but we're just going to put it in the back. But it still remains that uh, the guy could do incredible things and we could turn the world upside down. And so that moment is just for me to go like, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing and knowing that you're for us and turning things upside down for your kingdom. And I want you to be a part of what God's doing in sanctuary, in your life, in your family, at your work, because God wants us to be a light in the darkness. God wants us to bring hope to a world that is so hopeless, that's so anxious, that's so just lost. And we could be a people that stand up and say, God's for you. God's for you. He loves you. You could be more than a conqueror. He's one. He knows your story, and he's never going to give up on you. He's for you. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would be more than conquerors. Lord, that we would live in light of who we are in you, that you are for us, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, that you will never give up on us. Lord, those people that just feel like They've been given up on today, Lord. I pray that you would show them your love and the extent of your love, that you would send your own son. There is no no price you weren't willing to pay to show us that you're for us. We love you, Lord.